1: Hello and welcome to New Books in Language. Today I talk to Jonathan Green about his Dictionary of Slang, the fulfilment of many years' research. Along the way, we discuss trends in contemporary lexicography, the relation of slang to the counterculture, and the Oxford English Dictionary's disappointing unwritten policy on pornographic cartoons. Jonathan, you have an unusual combination of careers. As an acclaimed freelance lexicographer, as a historian, author, cultural and linguistic pundit and so on. How did this
0: all come about? Um, I had to get a job. It's probably <laughs> probably Actually, I've never had a job as such. I've always been self-employed. I mean, it's kind of you to think of me as a pundit. I'm not sure. I think lexicography, perhaps, but outside that, I left Oxford in 1969, and I joined what was then, as I say, we're now in the hippie 60s in London, I joined what was called um, the Underground Press. Now, the Underground Press was various things. The one I joined was Rolling Stone in an, an English version, which didn't last very long, and then we moved on and, for our sins, called ourselves Friends, because we intended to be called Friends of Rolling Stone, but that there was an injunction, and that was the end of that. And I made my way through most through most of the underground press, you know, between 1969 and 73, 74. So if people remember IT, the International Times, I did some work for Time Out, so on and so forth. But... None of which really, other than that it was dealing with language and dealing with words in the sense of a rather amateurish journalism, which was terribly unedited and was the worst possible apprenticeship, I suppose, um, was actually anything to do with what came later. I think, I suppose if I'm honest, I mean, it, uh, a lot of my work, when I look back on it, both the immediate stuff, which was dictionaries of quotations, and in the longer, and I would suggest more important term, the slang, it's rather... A I find it almost out of character, but it's about me sensing a niche in the market. Now, I had always had, for instance, the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, which I don't know what edition it was then, because we're talking, the, the, let's say, the mid-70s now. But um, it seemed to me that it was a bit tired, a bit out of date, a bit old-fashioned, a bit good for for, for clues in the Times crossword, but not much good, actually, for, as it were, my generation and, and, and people coming there from, or even more modern people, movie stars, TV people, whatever. So I proposed well, I did a variety of, of, of I started off with a dictionary of rock and roll quotes. I did, I think, political quotes. Um, over the years, various ones, food quotes, sex and love quotes, various things of that nature. The one that was successful was Famous Last Words. And the other one that was successful, which I sold to Pan Books, was the Contemporary Dictionary of Quotations. So that did reasonably well, and that was the late 70s. And, and, and the big turning point was that, on the back of that, and again looking at market niches, I noticed that my great predecessor, the the king of words, as he was known at the time, Eric Partridge, had died in 1979. And what I noticed about Partridge, because I'd always been a fan of slang, I'd always seemed to find myself when a, young, when a younger person reading books that had it in, when I was at prep school, sort of sapper, John Buchan, what that kind of, um, whatever you call thrilling yarns, stirring yarns, whatever the right word is for for boys. It was a wonderful library, my prep school library. I'd love to stick it in a sack and and, um, take it away. But basically, I realized that the important thing for me, again, I'm somebody who was born in 1948, just been through the 60s, man, and was very conscious of the fact that we used a great deal of slang. It was very much part of our identity that we should use it. Our immediate predecessors, the Beatniks and the Beats, had also used it. What, of course, we were all using, which I, to my sins, or certainly in the 60s, didn't realize was actually 30s slang from the American black ghetto. Um, but um, we were using it nonetheless. And we, I don't think we were consciously plagiarizing. We were simply using it because what people of our countercultural world, that was, that was our, our, you could say, jargon. It was, it was our professional slang and mm-hmm. niche language. And I realized that Eric Partridge had missed all this stuff. Partridge was born in, in the 1890s. He'd served in not just one, but two world wars. He was fascinated by military slang, fascinated by Cockney slang, which he'd first experienced in the trenches on the Somme in 1916 17. But he did not understand a world in which America dominated, teenagers existed. Drugs were part of the culture, rock and roll, etc., and so on. And as far as I could, in 1981, I did, and I put a book to two pan books, which was called Contemporary Dictionary of Slang, and they bought it, and it came out in 1984. So that was the beginning. That was that was how it, that was how it all sort of took off. So in that sense,
1: it's um, both a continuation of your interest in the Cultural surroundings that you experience firsthand, as reflected in your other books, but also this um, more general uh, literary bent of a much more traditional um, origin in some sense.
0: Well, there had been slang lexicography, of course, for a very, very long time, although I was not particularly aware of that. I mean, I, there's very little slang lexicology. Um, lots of lexicography. And the only book that really existed in those days, and I had not read it for my sins, was Eric Part- by, by unsurprisingly, by Eric Partridge. And it was the first book that he'd written, and it came out in 1933, and it was called Slang Today, which had a hyphen in the word today, and yesterday. And it was Partridge's very tentative paddling around the Great Lake of Slang and he, and, and he, he didn't really know about it. And I, in no way do I, do I put him down for this. Um, but he's, he's, he basically amassed the earlier sources. He looked at some of the place, I mean, the lexicographical sources. He looked at some of the places that, um, the hist you know, where, where people had used the slang, major writers, so on and so forth. Um, and gave us some small, but very small, um, glossaries. Now, what happened with that was it was picked up by Routledge, Routledge and Keegan Paul, as they then were, and they owned the rights to um, a book, a big slang dictionary of, it came out between 1890 and 1904 by John Farmer and the poet W.E. Henley. And so he was given this and, and, and as, as, his, as his sort of text and told to improve on it, which he did. But yes, they, I mean, what I see myself very much in a tradition that I think I could probably, although I shan't, name every single major predecessor. Since slang lexicography, while chronologically long, in other words, there are 500 years of it, um, is a very narrow world. The lexis itself is narrow, and I'll come to that later. Um, and the, those of us who have practiced it, I'm not sure if there are even 30. It starts off with a man called Robert Copeland, who had been an apprentice to Wink into Word, the printer who in turn had been an apprentice to Caxton, taught successor to Caxton, I believe, um, and it moves on from there. But there really aren't that many of us. I'm not sure whether there's room for more than one or two in a generation. If I look at the current group of, I mean, we're, we're indeed, because I have slang lexicographers, I, I'm not talking about outside. The anglophone world. I have no doubt there are more, but I don't think there are many more. But I can look at myself. Um, one other person who has tried to do do slang in the way two. Forgive me. Two other people who've tried to do slang in the way that I have done it, which is what is called on historical principles, which means that you don't simply have the etymology, the definition, uh, the headword, the etymology, the definition, but you also have usage examples, you have citations, the obvious. Pattern for that is to go and look at the big OED online, or indeed, indeed in paper. But there's only about three of us. There's a few others doing rather less, less some complex dictionaries. But as you go back, I mean, you know, there were. I can think of you know four people, I think, or five people in the whole of the 19th century, maybe six, and two of them. There were two pairs of those, so it's it's not something that is (laughs) that drags people in. People are fascinated by the language. I think one of the problems is that they don't take it as seriously as I certainly do. People have an image of slang is that it's dirty words, it's swear words, it's quote bad unquote language. All of which I would suggest is nonsense. It's and if you read the introduction to my Green's Dictionary of Slang, I I make it clear that these things are. The popular theory, but the reality is that you have a very vibrant inventive language which which it it to me the point about slang and I, I wouldn't say that this was why I started doing it back in nineteen eighty one i hadn't had these thoughts about it I've thought a lot about it since the reason that that is that it it touches on our humanity in a way that I would suggest no other group. You know, concentrated subset of the English language does. Now, perhaps other people in other disciplines would say, no, that's nonsense because this is equally human. But perhaps, and also perhaps that I am a cynic, which indeed I am. And to me, humanity, I'm afraid, tends to be its darker, less admirable side. And my goodness, if there is one thing about slang, it deals with our darker and less admirable sides. Indeed, yes. Do you feel
1: that the apparent underserving of um, slang in traditional lexicography is um, a result of that kind of that kind of attitude that there are some things that we don't want to talk about or things which we don't value or does it or does it arise from more technical reasons about for example the difficulty of finding sources
0: i think all three i think you've got it you've got it absolutely right it is all three there is this obviously there is this squeamish call it prudish element that these things are not talked about the first time slang gets collected is not as slang, it's as cant, cant being the criminal slang of, a, of, of the cl- slang of criminals, and it is collected in about 1530, 1535, and when I say collected, what we have is a lengthy poem by a man called Robert Copeland, it's called The Highway to the Spittle House, and the conceit of the poem is that he's standing outside the spittle house, in other words, the hospital, the hospital in question is has been worked out as being Bart's St. Bartholomew's in Smithfield in London. And he's talking to the porter. And, and there's a long poem where they're talking about one thing and another. And I think Copeland says, Well, look, all around the door here, oh, I think he calls them lewd, lazy lusks and laurels. In other words, beggars. And but these are not real beggars; they are fake beggars who are putting on, you know, have various tricks to to get themselves money, to get themselves arms. And in the poem, there are probably fifty terms that vaguely spring from, or allegedly spring from, the conversation um between copeland and the porter and these are the ter- and th- this is although it's not a dictionary it's not even a glossary this is the first time we see kant collected in one of port- av- available in one english language place it's not the first time it's ever happened because there are a lot of these what would come to be known as beggar books and the most important one of which in england came out in 1561, I think, but there's no edition, not even in the British Library or anywhere else, but there's a 1565 that's available, 1566. And these beggar books were very much part of a, tr- of a tradition that was going on in Europe at the time, and I know more about it than England, of books, essentially, books about the language of, well, about, about, about given occupations, be they archery, be they cooking, Be they forestry, be they whatever it might be, logging, I don't know. Um, And in these books, there would be a degree of glossary pertinent to archery, to chef cooking, whatever it might be. These were dealing with criminals, so they were rather more exotic to most readers. And you can find them in Germany, you can find them in France, you can find them in Italy, in Spain, um, I think in Poland. I, I think it was around the late 15th to late 16th century, this was a very recognized type of book, pamphlet, really. And this was the beginning of all slang lexicography. But the point is, it wasn't slang as we know it in other words in what i'd call a civilian non-criminal sense that was not being collected and it also wasn't these were not dictionaries i mean there there to an extent there was an element in in these in these beggar books of of the old news of the world i made my excuses and left i mean it's the the the, the it that are on the one hand, they're very moralistic, but they're also quite titillatory within their own context. It's, you know, I met the beggars. This is what they do. Here are some of their tricks. This is the strange language they use. And by the way, here's a list. Here's some fake sentences in it. And in, in Thomas Harmon's book, which is called Caveat for Common Cursators, um, there actually is a list of the villains that he's met. And there's Robert Smith, who's aged 80, who can break a penny nail with his teeth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these were not dictionaries as such. And and what you said is quite correct. Outside of this rather small vocabulary, I think there are maybe 200 discrete words in Thomas Harmon, for instance, 1565. This is not the sort of world, this is not the sort of language that is being put into books. Printing is still in its relative infancy. It's, I suppose, a middle and upwards class um, phenomenon. Reading certainly is. The language of the people, the language of the streets, the language of criminals is not being included except when it's being put under the microscope. Slang itself as a word, I don't mean the lexis, but slang as a word is not recorded till 1756. So the um, difficulty in...
1: Compiling a dictionary on historical principles, as you do, is presumably that you are aware that there are a huge uh, panoply of words out there, which are going to be extremely difficult to find citations for. Or indeed, presumably, there are also a lot of words out there which have been used at some point, maybe fallen into disuse, and which we're never going to
0: know about because there was there was never any uh, written record. Well, I think this works. I mean, there's two things. Two things this brings up. As I say, the first records of slang are all not slang as such, not apples and pears and all the rest of it, but they are this, this, this very small subset of criminal jargon, occupational criminal jargon, spoken by very specific people in very specific circumstances. But I believe that, well, I define slang as the counter language, and it's a conscious plagiarism of the counterculture which is how, how the, the hippie sixties were described and a number of youth movements tend still tend to be described i believe the counterculture so you get the counter language and i believe rightly or wrongly that we as 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 humans to go back to our humans are have a, a hard wiring in us to be oppositional we don't all connect that hard wiring perhaps so i'm no good on this <laughs> kind of theory, but my point is that there is that desire to be oppositional, and if there is a standard and in the case of language in the case of English language it is standard English we are naturally attuned to counter it and the way we counter it is using slang but it 's not just English of course it's it's other languages it is chronologically previous to the sixteenth century we know there was a certain amount of Latin slang we believe there's a certain amount of Greek the slang lexicographer. John Camden Houghton, who wrote a slang dictionary in 1859, um, talks about he's, he's pretty sure that there would have been um, men on the temples of Sennacherib or whatever who would have been, who, who, who again, and in, 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 in Babylon and whatever, who would have been talking slang, but of course we don't know. That may be going too far, although I believe that, that there is slang that simply was not recorded in any way. And it's very frustrating for me. I don't believe that it suddenly popped out of nowhere. So that's one reason, you you know, that it's very frustrating. And I've been writing a history of slang, which I hope will come out, well, it is coming out next year. And again, I've written a preliminary chapter in which I've tried to look at certain areas much earlier than, than recorded and English. Um, it's, it's very difficult. And the other thing is, I think I was saying is, is that as, as far as citations go, the first century or so it's quite difficult to escape a rather small canon and i mean a, i think a small c canon here it's obviously not the canonical writers although there are there are certain writers middleton decker robert green people of that nature jacobean playwrights shadwell in the late 17th century um afra ben um gradually it broadens out but you do get the feeling i mean certainly with with some of them like decker and Middleton, who did a play called The Roaring Girl, which was actually based on somebody called Mole Cutpurse, Mole, Mole Flounders, not Mole Flounders, Mole Cutpurse, and she actually came and appeared on stage one night and danced a jig. So, uh, but the fact is that when he, when Thomas Decker, Thomas Middleton are writing this play, and this is 1611, 1612, um, it's a bit like uh, the chat that the, the scenes with, the slang slash cant in them are a bit like an animated thesaurus. And Mole goes up to somebody who's called Tearcat and says, Well, Tearcat, what do you mean basically says, What do you do for a living? And then he comes back with this incredibly artificial sentence which has 19 consecutive cant words and would never, of course, have been spoken by a real life villain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what you get, I mean, what, what you see very much is if 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 you if you think of a of a pyramid on its point and Robert Copeland is as it were on the point everything you're seeing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and actually, there is more available slang. I mean, I suppose I and my, my researchers must have read upwards of 6,000 books. And although, uh, plus, as you can imagine, newspapers, scripts, TV and movies and all sorts of lyrics and so on and so forth, we, we, we've tried to cover the waterfront. The problem is the waterfront is expanding so fast thanks to the net. But, uh, but you know, what seems to happen... Is that your sources are doubling every century? Well, I mean, I think not. Perhaps in the 16th century, where they're really so few. The 17th century, you're probably got to, you've got a hundred or two hundred books to look at. 18th century, it's gone up by substantially. 19th century, it's 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 getting beyond beyond counting, and the 20th century, of course, is beyond counting. And I have not been able. I mean, I I would like to think that we have done a pretty good job on reading what there is to read, but I wouldn't pretend for a second that in the 20th century, or more particularly the second half of the 20th century and beyond, well, we're, we're, we're not there. and We're not going to be there. And indeed, this, of course, now starts to go back as a problem because I have spent the last year so with, with my wife, who's the main person who researches on it. In fact, we have no one else at the moment because the book's been published. Um, looking at a, a website which is called Trove, And another one called Papers Past. And what these two are, um, in the case of Trove, it's the Australian government who's put it up. And in the case of Papers Past, it's the New Zealand government who's put it up. And what they are is the entirety of the respective countries' newspapers, starting off in the early 19th century. Now, one finds a wonderful amount of material. One finds words one had not been aware of. One finds early uses of words one was aware of. One finds new senses of words that one had not encountered. But this is just a drop in the ocean, as it were. I mean, there is a place called Newspaper Archive, which is in America. I don't know that that you pay for, but not very much. I mean, the, my problem is I'm going to be 64 in April, and I know I'm not going to be able to you know, do much to this enormous and ever-growing mountain with my rather small Bent spoon that I'm attacking it with, but one tries.
1: My impression is that uh, other lexicography, in general, in recent years, has become very much more receptive to new coinages. Things are getting attested much, much more rapidly and being accepted on the basis of usage that might, in the past, have been regarded as you know improper or informal. How do you delimit uh, what we would consider? Slang for the purposes of, of special treatment, if you
0: will. The pattern is set as it is in all lexicography by the Oxford English Dictionary, and it is true that they, for instance, are much more accepting of of slang than they ever they used to be. Um, certainly not in the first edition, where they basically had a few slang dictionaries. Plus, when it turned up in in some of these canonical authors, again, let's say Decker and Middleton, people mm. of that nature. Um, they, they could have used a lot of Farmer and Henley, uh, which came out in 1890. They could have used a lot of people called Barrer and Leyland, who came out in 1889, but um, in the one case there were seven volumes in the one case there were there were two but they seem to have sidestepped it it was not it was not considered a good thing i think slang gradually starts to appear now that now that they're they're getting keener and i have a feeling i'm going to see large chunks of my 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 book in there but that's the way lexicography works and i say that with no 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 antagonism whatsoever i think we're all basically involved in the same project but um I think the problem, again, well, the difference, of course, is, and I, and I go back to my comments about about being a hippie in the 60s and late 60s and speaking a language that, quite honestly, in my silly English young mind was, quote, unquote, ours. And I didn't realize it was not ours. It was 30 to 40 years old. It was black. It was from the ghetto. It had, it had come out mainly of jazz or certainly been been propagated on the, uh, in, from the black into the, into the white world via jazz it had gone through beats and beatniks and so on and it turned up with us um, now let's say that's 30 years, the difference now is that my sons who are a little older than I, well, one's in his late 20s one is but young people generally because people 10 years younger the, the, the speed of transfer because we're still getting a lot of our slang via hip hop and rap in other words from the black ghetto American black ghetto um, is so much faster that we 're talking about three weeks. I wonder whether we 're not even talking about three days i mean there there 's no perceptible gap as far as I can see, and this makes it very challenging for the lexicographer because as i say i the gap the problem is um, the young remain static at the same age i i the collector do not, but then the young don 't want to collect it so one has to one has to Again, with with Oxford, I think they have now decided that, and um, this is on standards of what is admittable or not. I, by the nature of the material I have to read, have always been more accepting than the Ox- than Oxford have allowed themselves to be. Now, maybe they're right Well I can see you know from their point of view, they are a much older work. they're, they're, they're a much more traditional work. they are a much more consciously much more of a conscious authority, although I like to believe that there is a degree of authority in my work. But I have, because of the kind of material that I'm looking at, have had to take in less, less, less provable, less, less hardcore provable. Let me give you an example. I mean, I I, mean, I was talking to my friend Jesse Scheidlauer, who runs the Oxford Dictionary um, from, in New York, and we were talking about, and there were, some, you know, there, there were things came out in the 1930s called Tijuana Bibles. Tijuana Bibles were eight pages long. They were very badly drawn. They were very hardcore pornographic comics based primarily on real comics or alternatively on, the, on, the, on, on the, so the supposedly sexual lives of such as Greta Garbo or Charlie Chaplin or whoever else. And they're incredibly vulgar and incredibly pornographic, as I say. But they are chock-a-block with slang. And in many cases, because it's sexual slang, and really quite hardcore sexual slang, it's the first time these words have been placed in print. Now, I, who have read a lot of these things, there are collections of them, um, have used these as citations. And the OED, I am told, I don't know whether it's won't or can't, but don't. Because they don't feel that these are sufficiently, sufficiently authoritative sources to use. In my opinion, they are, and I will use them. And this is something you have to deal with with slang. It's always going to be like that. I don't have a bone to pick with Urban Dictionary, but I think Urban Dictionary are even more accepting than am I, and I think they're too accepting. I mean, I've read somewhere that that they claim that there's 2,000 new slang words a day. Well, there simply aren't. I mean, it it is really as simple as that. There are not 2,000 new slang words every day. There's an awful lot of words that young people come up with and slam onto Urban Dictionary. And it's all great fun. But quite honestly, I would rather – I mean, they may be refining it down. Perhaps I'm being unfair. But my own experience of Urban Dictionary is that you can't have a situation whereby a definition is, 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 is based on thumbs up and thumbs down. I mean, if you look up the definition of the word slang on urban dictionary, what you get is you've got about 30 or 40 uh, different answers. And the one that gets the most thumbs up is slang is the reason for urban dictionary to exist. Well, that indeed is true but it has absolutely no lexicographical value whatsoever. I mean, in my opinion, if I want a jolly book about slang, I want Roger's Profanosaurus, which reduces me to tears of laughter. Um, It is gloriously scatological. It is played completely for laughs. And yes, I've occasionally used it for citations, but nothing like the amount of words that they offer. I was thinking of Urban Dictionary
1: as uh, sort of the the reason why you still need to proceed with, lexicographic principles is without any kind of standards presumably it's essentially impossible to verify the status of any uh, of any claimed usage
0: i think one of the problems is slang is by its nature not taken seriously as, as i said at the beginning of our conversation it is it is it is dirty words it's fuck it's this it's that it's t'other and which or It's rhyming slang. I have on my wall in front of me in my office, I have two pictures. One is apples, one is pears. And in addition, I have an illustration from a piece I wrote on the word fuck. And the reason those are there is that this is the popular belief that what slang is. So urban dictionary for most people will work because it doesn't take it terribly seriously. It takes it at face value. There is no, I would suggest, but one would have to speak to Aaron Peckham, but my feeling is that there's no particular desire to offer users a proper lexicographical level of authority, research, et cetera, et cetera. That is the antithesis of myself who considers themselves to be, you know, my, my dictionary, the, inte- the, the aim of my dictionary Is that people should be able to read it, and as much as one can trust anything in lexicography, which is after all made by human beings, um, one can trust my dictionary. I also know that my dictionary is subject to continuing research, often in the case of um, the wider chronological range of uses, particularly going backwards, the better predate, the better antedate, whatever you want to call it. In other words, I thought that was being used in 1910. Here it is in 1810. That, of course, to me, is that, and to all lexicographers who, who work as I do, which is mainly Oxford, is um, the Holy Grail, getting that predate, seeing the word's been around longer, seeing it's got a different sense, etc. and so on. There's none of that rigor in, in, in urban dictionary. Um, I can get cross with them, but the reality is they've never put up a sign saying that we're offering that rigor. The trouble is, for me, is that I take what I do very seriously, and I take, and I think, I believe very firmly that if you are going to provide a work of reference, then it has got to have a degree of trustworthiness and authority. And I think the problem there is, particularly with slang, there is far too much popular etymologizing, too much fantasy, fuck comes from fornicate under command of the king, all that kind of bollocks. And I thoroughly deplore it because if you go, you know, I, I really do believe that the traditional role of a dictionary is to provide to the best of the lexicographer's ability, something that can be trusted. And trouble with the internet is it's all so relative, and you can't trust it. <laughs> As I say, my my dictionary may, may be built on, yes, it is built on shifting sands because of the nature of research, and the more material we have to research with, and there is more and more every day, the better our dictionaries will become. But one can one can subject whatever material one has to a degree of rigor. I try to do that. I don't think the Urban Dictionary or its rivals, I guess, on the net do. And I think for the user, that is a loss. There's lots of fun. There's lots of amusement. But there's no actual information. Or insufficient, of- insufficient information. Forgive me.
1: On the subject of the... Uh- the maintenance of your database. I believe you, you currently have something like uh, hundred and ten thousand headwords, and was it half a million citations from
0: that? I I, I I haven't. All I know. I think I had a database of around five hundred seventy-five thousand citations, of which I used about four hundred fifteen thousand for the printed book, which in turn has hundred ten thousand words and phrases. They're nested, so there are probably fifty-five thousand headwords. Since then um my wife and I have put together another I would say at least another, in in the year since it was published and they I mean the database obviously was frozen for a period for editing and so on since then we've probably added another twelve to fifteen thousand citations um a lot of them as it so happens are Australian because that's what we've been con- concentrating on but in fact it's much wider and of course when new books come out that I can use and gut as I think of it disembowel then I will do so um my big problem and, and, and if anybody anybody wishes to become my patron, my sponsor, my institutional home, I am absolutely shameless in saying don't hesitate to get in touch. What we have is is I've done this book. It's took seventeen years. I've been working in slang for thirty. Um, I have produced what is generally accepted in the reviews to be an exemplary dictionary with all the provisos that I've mentioned, but as it is, I'm worried that work is going to die or I'm going to be turning into a little old man sitting in a basement, obsessed with slang, but no one gives a damn. And I need that the problem we have now is that, as we all know, this is a wonderful time to live vis a vis the net and so on, but it's not such a good time to be trying to make a living. And that's my problem. <laughs> so I need, I want the dictionary to continue. I want the database to be accessible to more people. And although I may have my arguments with the likes of Urban Dictionary, I would love to have user input. The difference would be that I would take it upon myself to mediate it. But I'm sure that what I would like is to be in a position where people, young people would say, right, here is a word that I've encountered. No, I cannot give you a, a nice, neat, topped and tailed citation, but you can go out there and find one, which is what I would do. But I need, I've, I mean, the work. Forget me, the work needs some. It needs a home. And at the moment, my home is insufficient. And I don't have the technical skills to put it online, unfortunately. But I mean, there's no doubt about it. The reference has got to be online. I mean, the difference is that, okay, what you get with Green's Dictionary slang is 6,200 pages, 12,400 columns. And if you want to know, for instance, how many words James Joyce uses for penis, you can't find out. Because you've got to go through 12,400 columns. If it's online, you can find out in, I don't know, some kind of microsecond. And there will be all the citations. I I think people know they can get that kind of response now. They expect that kind of response. And it's up to me to find a way of getting it up there online. But I need help.
1: You mentioned that uh, in addition to combing new texts, you're also looking at these archives of, for instance, Australian and American newspapers. Is there a tendency to go through patches in your research of uh, adding a lot of words from one period or another, or do you find yourself constantly racing to keep up with contemporary developments?
0: It depends which end you are, as it were, of the chronological spectrum. I mean, what I've been looking at, for instance is um, a newspaper called Bell's Life in Sydney. Bell's Life in Sydney began in 1845, went through, I think, for 20 or 30 years. I've only, and I've been working, I've been working sporadically, I mean, I work on other things, but I, I've managed to do about five, seven years of it, I think, so far. But I and I narrow it down to the police court reports, which are um, whether whether deliberately or otherwise, hilarious. The ad hominem and ad feminem comments are quite remarkable um, as to the as to the accused, who are invariably described in 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 great and and, and very very um, rude detail. And there's lots of slang. Um, so, the, but the point that I'm using those that particular magazine, that particular journal. It's a sporting journal. You know, horse racing, boxing, divorce, that kind of thing. Sort of pre I don't know what the equivalent now, it used to be loaded, but well, you know, pre Mag, I suppose, um, is to find on the whole earlier uses of stuff. And that's what I'm finding in it. Also, early Australian uses. Um, and in the case of a magazine like the New Zealand Truth, which came out a little later, same thing. Um, so when you, uh, there are various ways of researching these newspapers. You can either take a specific newspaper, a little later you can take and then you do get a density. For instance, when I was reading American ones for the dictionary, for the published dictionary, I would re- I read ten, twenty years of Walter Winchell columns. Now Walter Winchell's invisible now, but in his time, he was a great word word coiner. He was an incredibly powerful, truly powerful, despite only being a gossip columnist. Powerful journalist in, in in the american in the American world in American society, but beyond that in American politics, and so you get yes you get this concentrated rush of winchalisms and so on and so forth. But it depends how you 're going about it as i say there 's the going right there 's going back as early as you can to find the earliest uses. there would be moving on till now to find the latest and then it 's just a different way of doing it i mean aside, because I work on historical principles there is, I'm not worried that a slang word might have died. I am using my citations to show the length of that lifespan. So if the lifespan is only 1845, but I consider it to be a valid use, it might well be a subsense of of an existing word or whatever, in it will go. Um, If, on the other hand, I've got one from 1845 and they keep coming, one every 10 years, um, in Australia, or perhaps not just Australia, all the way through to now, so be it. The citations dictate the lifespan, and that's what one. I think this is true. I'm sure Oxford find this. I know they do as well as I do. That um, what what you really find is that is that you never really. It's a. Um, I think you know it's amazing how long words do last. That's the truth of it. And I would also suggest, although I've never, I'm not a linguist, I've never tried to find the proof that. Each of us tends to keep through life with the slang that we first discovered and adopted and used. So there will be slang being used as it were in a background way by someone who picked it up in, you know, when they were eighteen. Probably isn't going into the newspapers because or the TV or whatever, because it's not trendy anymore. It's not it's not it's not pertinent, but that's the slang which this bloke and his and his or her friends perhaps are still using. Now whether I will find examples of that or not is another story, but but quite often you do.
1: That relates to a question I was going to ask about how you go about uh, looking for citations if somebody comes to you and says, I've heard somebody use a slang word that meant this word that meant something like that. Presumably, it depends a lot on who's using it and where Where you would uh, look for those citations.
0: Well, the glory now, of course, is undoubtedly the internet. I mean, I think prior to the internet, I'm not sure without an awful lot of sort of ancillary information, how one would have set set about it. On the whole, slang lexicographers don't actually do, do field work. So that's a, a sort of sub-branch that doesn't really come into it. But the beauty now is you've got Google Book Search, you've got the rest of the net, You can, and you can, I'm quite capable of if I find a word and well, well, you know, I will make up a little sentence and then I will search on the little sentence or the little or more likely a phrase and stuff will come up, stuff will come up. But I mean, the internet's a mixed blessing. On the one hand, there's so much material. It just daunts one. It's such a mountain. My, my, as I say, my little bent spoon is not going to make as much impression as I would like to, but it has, does give you both within one's own work, if I can put it online, and when I'm actually doing research, a wonderful facility now to, pr- pr- to do focused searching in a way that you simply could not have done. I mean, most of our searching prior, I suppose, well, let's say the net's been around usefully for about 10 years, maybe maybe a, a bit more. But, you know, the, the, obviously the bulk of the material, particularly, you know, that, of 17 years research, had to be in print sources. And so again, you weren't doing focused searches. I mean, the first book in which I researched—I mean, I have a quite a large library, as you can imagine—it's quite slang, slang, popular book orientated. And so, the first thing I did when I was commissioned to do the book, um, the well, the 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 yep, Green Section of slang, I pulled down on the road Jack Kerouac's book off the shelf, and I gutted it. I don't know, it's probably 800 citations in it. And then after that, I pulled down something else. Maybe a Raymond Chandler, after that, something else, and on we went. But we are but I'm not focusing my searches. I'm just trying to find what I can find. And of course, in these early books, everything is useful. Gradually, because I, I restrict myself to one citation per sense per decade, more you 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 reach a stage where of course you've got most of it, or you've got a lot of it. Um so you have to change. But the actual focus thing of saying, right. I want a new citation for X. Let's see if there's an earlier one. Now you can go into Google Book Search and you can say, right, I want, I want, I want a date range, and you can say, right, the first one I've got's 1892. Let's see what there is before 1891. And it doesn't always happen. And there is the problem that a, a large amount of slang, its etymologies is based on standard English. So While there are indeed 20-odd different um, homonyms for the uses of the word dog, nouns, verbs, adverbs, or whatever, um, adjectives, there is no way that you can search on dog in Google Book Search. And, of course, that takes me back to making up my little sentences. But the fact is there are words that, I mean, let's say – oh, I don't know, my my mind always goes blank at these moments, All My Eye and Betty Martin. Well, you can shove in All My Eye and Betty Martin from prior to its first recorded use, which is somewhere in the 17th century, and you can see if there's anything on Google Book Search that comes up, and quite often there is. Um, Google Book Search is kind of a false friend at times because their bibliographical standards are appalling, and they tend to date a magazine to its first issue. So if, say, The Spectator, which the first issue of which was, I think, um, 1711, um, comes up with some exciting word from hip-hop in an article on black music, um, if The Spectator runs such things, um, you must not get overexcited and think, my God, they were using this word in 1711 because they were not. But on the whole, it is a use. I mean, this 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 ability to do focused searching is amazing. And I am slightly restricted because a lot of these big search engines that, well, sorry, databases for newspapers and magazines and stuff are not yet free and perhaps never will be. And a big institution, uh, academic institution, Oxford big you you know they 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 have access to this stuff and i don't but having said that i i i do pretty well and i think it it has changed it's changed the way you do it completely
1: i was going to ask them whether there were any particular citations you could think of that you were or meanings that you were particularly proud of tracking down um within the light of that perhaps i ought also to ask whether there were any you were particularly surprised
0: Right. I I right. have to be honest. I I I tend to be, although I am indeed whittling away at individual branches, not even, let alone trees. I I tend to look at my work as as the larger wood, indeed the forest. I don't really have an answer to that. It's like when people ask me what my favourite slang word is, I always say, well, they're all my babies. I I there's it's you know what, what's exciting? Yeah, I mean, all right, there's there's exciting. I mean, there, you know, this is this is the mad lexicographer. I mean. Word shit, I think it was a, as an exclamation. Shit's been around for centuries, five, six, whatever. Um, but shit as an exclamation, I think we we had a we had an example of it for nineteen sixteen. I think, unsurprisingly, among soldiers. But my wife was. I mean, this is the serendipity that sometimes inform it. She was reading book A, and book A had a footnote to book B, and book B was a book which had been collected, I think, as, as a sort of development of someone's PhD thesis, was published in the 1890s by an American university press. What it was about was some trials of American Civil War soldiers. So we're back in 1861-5. And in one of the bits of one of these trials, this that this. academic, had had decided to include, as opposed, I'm sure, to all the ones he hadn't included, was a use of shit by a soldier as an exclamation. So, bingo. Suddenly, we have gone back from 1916 to 1865, I think. This is wonderful. I mean, this is is 60 years or something. Um, And that's what I do, there is a side to what I do, which is that's what it's all about. That's the day-to-day amusements. But I must say, that's the one that always always jumps into my head. But on, on one level or another, I particularly now once looking at these, the, these newspaper databases from the 19th century, this becomes a more and more common event. I mean, it may only be a one-year predate, but it's quite often a 10 and 20, 30 and 40-year predate. And it's telling us more about the language because, in the end, that's what a dictionary is meant to be doing—whether it's slang or standard English. You're talking about the language, you're informing people. There, I would suggest that, that with slang, in particular, but I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm party pre—I'm prejudiced. Um, there, there is, to an extent, this history. I mean, you have to piece it together. There's a history of the marginal, the world of marginal people, and, and it comes through in slang and the language they use and the way it develops. And you I mean there's this you know there's other things you can notice. For instance, you notice the fact that Australia, because it wanted to build its own language, is much more slangy, quite it seems to be much more willing to use slang to sort of lay down a degree of this is the way we are in Australia. We're tough, we're independent, we use slang in a way that America or England at the time are perhaps not so intent on doing, and so you're going to get a lot of these early uses of slang are going to turn up in Australia. That's what I'm finding anyway. So turning to the future, and the you mentioned that
1: you hope your work will be cited by other lexicographers. Do mention elsewhere the OED as as a secondary source for the things they do cover that fall within your ambit. What are your current plans in terms of uh, making your work available online?
0: Um, first thing is I'm, I'm not terribly hopeful that my work will be be be, be cited by other lexicographers. I just know it's going to happen. I know, I know Fair Oxford. <laughs> but um, no it's the way we play it I mean I, I I use theirs and I credit them when I have to when I can't get anything better and of course there is a sort of a little standard which is I'll go and say hey we've, you know we just done 10 years pre-date in Oxford I mean it's nothing of any importance in the wider world but it's fun within my own circles um it's you know what my plans for the future as I, as I went in uh, into uh, in possibly overindulgent um a plea there is is, I want it online because I think that's where it has to be, where it must be, where it will most usefully be. Who is going to be my Lord Chesterfield? I do not know. Who is going to be my patron? Who is going? I, I, I believe I don't have the technical skills to do it myself, nor do I have the promotional management, merchandising, whatever the right word skills are, to make a business out of it. I, I, my, my belief is that it should have an academic home, because I believe that, and, I've, and I have had some interests from universities in both England and America, but it takes a very long time, and quite honestly, I am waiting, as it were, for the, for the You Got Mail sign to come up, because at the moment, I'm, I mean, people, people, people are very positive, people are very keen, but the problem is that the lexicographer himself, in other words, me, has to survive. I can't do this work for nothing. And this, as we know, is one of the great problems with the Internet as it is. There is a belief that information should be provided for free. I believe that that is not a wholly foolish belief. But on the other hand, you know, creatives of all sorts, be they photographers like my younger son, be they lexicographers like me, cannot simply provide stuff for nothing. So that is the huge, huge problem that I'm facing um i am I'm, I'm a one trick pony this is what i do i i would like to think i do it well but i can't do it for free but there's no doubt about it to cut off this this, this pitiful, pitiful plea. um that um this this database of mine which i have every intention to work upon until i crash forward onto the keyboard and i hope not that isn't too soon and who knows if it'll even be a keyboard um i have every intention to work on it to improve it to expand it to in every way make it a better resource um that's what i want to do but there seems to me that as things stand and who knows what technology will do that as as things stand the internet must be the home for it
1: can I say at this point I feel bad about coming to you with and sending you an email asking for this interview in which I uh, you know fail to give you any money and uh, and
0: <laughs>
1: don't offer the resources enabling with, you to do the work with
0: respect that doesn't come into the picture and if that and you are absolutely right to tease me but uh,
1: to take up the, then the subject of updating uh, working with this updated database as you remark elsewhere the um, OED have uh, I think you know, ceased ceased to produce any any further editions in. Perform, at least in, as
0: far it's as I'm aware, interface. yes. The OED is simply too large to make it worth offering a printed edition. Also, one should remember that the OED, which um, started its revisions, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago with the letter M for Mary, um, has still only reached as sort of making its way through, I think, S. S is the biggest letter of the lot. S is like a, the Himalayas. I mean, it's just a nightmare. <laughs> you come to S when you're doing an editing job on a dictionary and you just, just say, right, well, that's the next month. Although in the Oxford Oxford scale, this will be that'll be the next year or something. So who knows how big it will be. But what I what I would suggest is that I, I, I think I hope this isn't repeating myself, that anyone who had the choice, whether they be a casual user or a focused researcher or an academic or anyone else will now always go to the internet. And therefore, there's no point, in my opinion, for me, let alone the OED, um, to be anywhere but online. I think that's, it's a fantastic facility. One wants that level of sophisticated search. Um, it's, it, uh, and, and we can provide it. I mean, the properly written database can, can make this language jump through hoops. And I, and I find that very exciting. And that's what people want. You're not going to pull a book down off the shelf. It's sad. I have a huge, behind me, as I'm talking to you, I have probably a wall of reference books, and they are gathering dust. So to conclude then, as our hour is nearly up, prior to the update
1: of your dictionary, which we hope we'll see online at some point in the, in the future and benefiting from all these additional citations that you've so diligently gathered, uh, you mentioned that you're also uh, about to publish a history of lexicography, a slang lexicography,
0: Yes, it's a history of slang. I mean, in nineteen ninety six I did a book called "Chasing the Sun subtitled Dictionary Makers and the Dictionaries they Made," which is self-explanatory starts off with the Acadians back i think three thousand b c e and moves on till well nineteen ninety six um It's a general history of of lexicography of all sort of English language lexicography of all sorts history of slang is of it is in a, there are two chapters in chasing the Sun which are slang-related. And, I mean, in in the most basic level, you could say, right, this is an expansion thereof. It isn't, though, I mean, because they are very much um, biographically driven, those two chapters. I have tried to look at much more at the Lexis. I benefit... From having my own database, and I am able to give a lot of examples. I can do some quite sophisticated date searches. I mean, what I was talking about earlier about well, there were x hundred books to read in this century and y hundred in the next century that 's very much based on being able to do the searches on my my own in my own database. I know how approximately i can because i won 't have used them all, but you know, how much how many slang words Dickens might have used, how many slang words Kipling might have used. And I can remember the number for that. And it's 493. Um, I mean, I'm, i so, I mean, I've, I've tried to trace it on an essentially chronological pattern in this case from, I was talking about beggar books and stuff really from them with an introductory chapter on possible earlier uses of slang, um, Latin, Greek, so on and so forth. Um, then the beggar books, and then we really move through not just slang on a chronological level, but also the fact that slang, and we haven't touched on this and it's a bit late, is very thematic. So there are certain major themes like war and sex, and there's a sub- subset of sex, gay sex, and various things of that nature. So there are chapters that just show the way the slang in those areas have developed. Black slang obviously gets a large chapter to itself, but there are also chapters simply on America, 19th century, America, 20th century, various levels of English slang over the years. That's that's how it works. I bring, and try and bring it up to date. Well, I very much look forward to seeing it.
1: And I hope uh, hope by that
0: time that the uh,
1: some... Uh benefactor will have come forward i'd like to say if there are any benefactors listening to this podcast then then please talk to me first
0: um (laughs) i think i've done enough of that i fear it's it's shame making but when it comes to my beloved slang i do not have shame it is not as they say a word in my dictionary well and on that non-word
1: i'll say Jonathan green thank you very much for your time thank you I've been talking to Jonathan Green about Green's Dictionary of Slang. This is Chris Cummins from New Books in Language saying thank you for listening.